All right, first, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 is the first passage that we'll read from here. So I want to get going in just a minute and get to as many passages as I can. Um, the whole study has been on the 70 weeks of Daniel, Daniel's 70-week prophecy. In the first two weeks, we talked about the prophecy of when Jesus would come the first time and how accurate that was that Jesus came into Jerusalem as the Messiah exactly 483 years after the commandment to restore Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. Um, and now it's taking longer, but we're looking at the 70th week of Daniel. So I want to just get going and keep going on these passages. And the more we see, the more we'll see how it points back to Daniel 9, 26 and 27, where it says of the Antichrist that he will make a covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. He will turn on the Jews. He will take away their right to do sacrifices in the temple. Um, there's other subjects that I've hit really quickly that I could come back sometime and do whole lessons or a couple lessons on. Things like Matthew 24, 31 being, I believe, the gathering of the Jews to Jesus' side to start the kingdom. Uh, how, why do we think there's two comings of Jesus, a rapture and then a final coming to the earth, and then evidence for a pre-tribulation rapture? All of those things, I've told you what I think, but I've moved really past move past it really fast because I'm trying to stay focused. It's already a long series on the 70th week of Daniel and how many times the New Testament references it. So in the book of Daniel, that event, the abomination of desolation is mentioned. Then it's mentioned in several of the gospels like Matthew 24, where Jesus said, when ye see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And then unless I'm missing something, there's two other times in the New Testament when it refers to that event that are outside of the Gospels and other than the book of Daniel itself. And we'll get to at least one of them here this morning, the other one maybe next week. But let's read 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. We spent a lot of time talking the last, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. I said it wrong a couple times, but I'm sorry. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. We spent a lot of time talking about how when Jesus comes with the holy angels at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, because that's when Jesus identified it as. It's when he comes to the earth with his angels, and it's when he comes to execute judgment and to set up his millennial kingdom. Keeping that in mind, 2 Thessalonians 1.6, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Those who persecuted the Christians, it will be a righteous and a just thing for God to give them tribulation. Verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Jesus said at the end of Daniel's 70th week, he's coming with his angels to take vengeance on them that obey not God. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor as by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. 
The day of the Lord is often referred to as that time of judgment, and it's what he was just talking about in chapter 1. Jesus coming with the angels and executing judgment upon the world. And I think what he's saying here is it's not started already. And then he says in verse number 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, I think speaking of the day of judgment, except there come a falling away first, which refers to apostasy, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. The term Antichrist is only used for this future figure once in the Bible, and it's in 1 John, where he says, ye have heard that Antichrist should come. And then he says, but there are many Antichrists in the world now, because Antichrist simply means against Christ, or in place of Christ. And there are many all throughout history, from the day that that was written until now, that have taken the position of being against Christ, of stepping in place of Christ. But he's called in Daniel 9, he's referred to over and over again. In Daniel 9, he's called the prince of the people that shall come. Here, in just in verse number 3, he's called the man of sin and the son of perdition. Perdition is destruction and damnation and judgment. Verse number 4 describes what he will do, this future character that Revelation calls the beast who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. A lot more from Second Thessalonians 2 that we could spend a long time talking about. But verse number 4 says what the abomination of desolation is, that event that will happen halfway through the tribulation period that Daniel 9 talks about, that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. He is, it says that he will exalt him, okay, he will oppose God and he will set himself, exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That will be what will take place. In the temple, he will proclaim himself to be God. He will cause the sacrifices to the God of the Old Testament to cease and will require that everyone worship him. He will commit the blasphemy that the devil did when he said, I shall be as the Most High. And he wanted heaven to bow down and to worship him. Revelation 13 spells out a little bit more exactly what's going to happen, but verse 4 says it so clearly that he will exalt himself as God and will want to be worshipped as God. If you do not receive the mark of the beast and worship him, you will be put to death. That is how blasphemous this event will be, and it's why Jesus refers to it as an abomination. It's an abomination, and after it, a time of desolation and horror and persecution will come upon the earth and will come upon the people of God. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, I don't want to read the whole story of the two witnesses, which is contained in the first 13 verses of this chapter. But let's look again. We may have read this when we're talking about the time period and how often it shows up that it's saying either seven years or that half of the seven-year period. Revelation 11, verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and in the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Verse 2, But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not. 
For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. It says the Gentiles will tread Jerusalem under their feet for how long? Forty and two months. That's three and a half years. Again, pointing back to Daniel 9.27, in the midst of that seven-year period, he's going to turn on the Jews, and then he will begin to persecute them. Verse 3 says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. If you know the story and you can read it later, I'm just not going to go over it this morning. But they go out and they preach about God. They have power over their enemies. They can bring in drought. They can call fire down from heaven. They have a time where they cannot be touched. Verse 7 says, When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. After they finish their ministry, and remember how long were they able to preach? It was for a 1,260 days, that exact three and a half year period. Now, not everyone agrees, but I really think that the two witnesses are that first half of the tribulation. A couple of reasons. It says that after they are put to death, the whole world is going to see their dead bodies, verse 9, for three and a half days and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Now, in the time that Revelation was written around 90 AD, imagine reading the whole world is going to look at two dead bodies in the street at the same time. How is that going to happen? It's going to be some miraculous vision, something that the world has never seen before. How could all the world see two people who are in Jerusalem? That doesn't seem very hard to imagine now, does it? Because it's on the news. It'll be on your phone, wherever you look. And then it says in verse 10, that they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Verse 11 says that after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And then in verse number 11, verse 12, it says that they are called up to heaven. Now, I think for a couple reasons, it's the first three and a half years of the tribulation that God leaves these two witnesses to preach. Um, for one reason, exactly their ministry is 1260 days and exactly when it is over and they are put to death the whole world is going to be celebrating like it's christmas and giving each other presents and looking at their dead bodies refusing to put them in a grave like some countries have done to american soldiers in terrorist countries when that happens well they said from the the great tribulation from the time of the abomination of desolation is going to be exactly 1260 days so at the end of the second half is when Jesus comes back. So I think the end of their ministry is not describing right before Jesus comes. And I suppose it's possible they could start some point into the seven-year period and then overlap into the second. But there's just so much about the prophecies where it's three and a half years this, three and a half years that. And then it also fits when it says that the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, it is the Antichrist himself that will overcome them and kill them. But for three and a half years, he's not had power over them. They've been protected. So the picture I get that I think fits is that abomination of desolation happens right at the three and a half year mark. He begins to persecute the Jews. And one of the first things that he does is he takes care of the two witnesses. He now has power over them and he kills them as things are beginning to get bad and to turn. 
But at any rate, there we see 1260 days that I think will be that first half. And then let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. This is kind of a fun chapter. Um, I do want, I did want to say this prophecy in the Bible takes a lot of study and it takes a lot of looking, but it's not so hidden and so symbolized that we have no idea what's going to happen and that we can just put up our hands and ignore it and say, Oh, well, no one really knows. Let's just not worry about it. Because Jesus Christ himself, who, as I said before, gave validity to the Old Testament. He said, as the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He believed in Noah and the ark. He said Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So he believed in the story of Jonah. Also of Lot, he compared the end times to Lot being taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he was talking about marriage, he quoted the story of Adam and Eve. So Jesus gave validity and said that happened the way it did. Uh, those were true stories. Well, Jesus talked about his coming and about the judgment to come over and over and over. So if we were to take that view to say the, the prophecy really doesn't matter, let's just ignore it because it's too confusing. Or if we were to, as I said, a lot of Calvinists, it's popular, the they call it post-millennial and amillennial, saying there really is no rapture, there really is no millennial reign, it's all just a symbolism and was fulfilled in 70 AD. If we were to take that, it undercuts the authority of Jesus because he prophesied so many specific events that are yet to come that he told us to believe in. And it also undercuts the validity of scripture because if you can just explain away and symbolize such a plethora, unlimited almost number of verses that talk about specific future events, then you could do that to any part of the Bible. And some people tried to. All oh, the resurrection of Jesus was all written in this allegorical way where he was just talking about our spirits overcoming negativity. And they'll, they'll say anything, but we approach the Bible and interpret it literally unless there's a reason to not do so. So Revelation and the prophecies do contain a lot of symbolism, but many times right within the text, it will tell us what the symbols stand for. And there's a little bit of this in Revelation chapter 12, but if you know the Old Testament, I don't think it's too hard to realize that the people he was writing to would understand what he was talking about. So we're in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. And I'll say this quickly too, Revelation, the first three chapters are letters to the churches. Chapter four begins the seven seal judgment and Jesus is found worthy and he starts to loose the seals and the wrath of God begins to be poured out upon the earth. Um, and then there's seven trumpets that follow that. And that's the other reason I think that the two witnesses are the first half because it's in the middle of all those things being opened and there's still like seven of them that haven't been opened yet when it talks about the two witnesses. But Revelation 4 through 9 will contain some things that'll make you want to get saved if you're not saved because it is the wrath and judgment of God being poured out upon the earth. People are dying. Things are falling from the sky. The waters are being turned to blood. And Revelation 9 combined with the verses in Joel, some of the most terrifying verses in the Bible that talk about locusts that ascend out of hell and describe them as if they were demonic type beings and they will torture the people on the earth and not allow them to die. Then it says, describes an army of 200 million in Revelation chapter 9 that seem to also describe demonic type creatures. And it says that that they will wipe out and slaughter a third of the planet at once as part of the judgment of God. 
his wrath and his anger and his judgment is going to be poured out upon the earth. There will be people that are saved. There will be remnant of the Jews that will be kept safe from their persecution. But you will have to run. You will have to probably be put to death. You will starve because you cannot buy or sell unless you take the mark of the beast. And if you take it and agree to worship him, then God will stop working with you and you will be lost. But then beginning in Revelation 10 through about Revelation 14, it kind of gives an interlude and it stops and it talks about the two witnesses. Then it comes to events that happen in the middle and then eventually it continues on with what is happening. So let's read Revelation 12:1, understanding that it was telling the story of the judgment. Then it kind of stops and backs up and talks about what has been going on. It says this, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. We stop and say, what is this talking about? There's a woman in the heavens, she's clothed, and it mentions the sun, the moon, and twelve stars. Now we'll continue reading and show why I think so, but be reminded that the story of the tribulation is a time that is focused upon the Jews. We began in Daniel chapter 9, and in the 70-week prophecy, verse 24, the angel said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. So the whole 70-week prophecy, including that future seven-year period, the angel said, are determined upon the Jews and upon Jerusalem. And what you will see as we study is that the focus on that seven-year period is not on the church, but it is on the Jews and their persecution by the Antichrist. In Jeremiah chapter 30, it uses this funny term where in, in Thessalonians, it talks about the end time and the wrath of God. And it says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden travail shall come upon them as a woman in childbirth. They'll be saying peace and safety. It's everything's continuing. God's not coming back. And then as a woman goes into labor and it's intense pain, that's going to happen. Well, in Jeremiah 36, it uses kind of a funny Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6 picture where it says, why are all the men bent over with their hands on their knees as if they were in labor? And so it, it uses some language that refers to that end time type of thing and that travail that comes upon the world. And Jeremiah 37 says this, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The great tribulation is referred to specifically as the time of Jacob's trouble. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. What was Jacob's name changed to at a later date? It was changed to Israel. He's the father of that nation. Also in Matthew 24, Jesus said, when you see that abomination of desolation take place, it says, let them that be in Judea flee into the mountains. That's Jerusalem where it's taking place. And he says, pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath. He is going to persecute the Jews. That's what the focus of the end times is on. Now, let me read you from Genesis 37, verse 9. Speaking of Joseph, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance unto me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, 
And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Remember that Jacob changed his name to Israel, or God changed his name. And how many sons did Jacob have? He had 12 sons. What are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel? They are all the names of the 12 sons of Jacob. So when Joseph has this dream, he says there was the sun, there was the moon, and then there were 11 stars bowing down to me. So it was his dad understood that what the dream was, was he said it was Jacob, it was his wife, and it was Joseph's 11 brothers bowing down to him. So in verse number one of chapter 12, it says that the woman was clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And I think we'll see more as we read to confirm it, but I think this vision in this picture is picturing the nation of Israel, and the 12 stars are picturing the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse number two. Now verse two, verse one through five, gives us an overview of historical events. Verse two, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. From Revelation 19, we know, well, we know obviously that the red dragon is the devil, but it says in the closing chapters of Revelation that the 10 horns are 10 kings that will make a league with the Antichrist and that the seven heads represent the seven mountains upon which the city Babylon sits, which is Rome, the city of seven hills, but it also represents seven kings, because it says at one point in Daniel 7 or 8 that three of the kings will be plucked up by the roots and taken away by the Antichrist or by the beast, okay? So a lot of symbolism, but it's actually right within the text what those things represent. It's the devil, and the devil in the end times with the beast will have league with ten kings. Three of those kings will be taken away. That's why it says seven crowns upon his heads. Verse 4, And his tail, speaking of the devil, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Some people like the Catholics think that this is speaking of Mary because it's giving reference to Jesus, the Messiah, being born. But as you read throughout the chapter, it's talking in a future tense and not of the events that happened when Jesus was born. But it says that through Israel, the child would be born. That's where Jesus, the Messiah, was born, who would take away the sins of the world. He was born into the home of Mary and of Joseph. And it says that the devil stood ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Well, we know from Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, that Herod was afraid of the Messiah being born after reading, hearing from the wise men that there was a king being born, and he ordered all of the newborns that were male to be murdered. And they slaughtered many innocent babies in that country because the devil was behind the attack of trying to take out Jesus, 
the Messiah. How do we know that it was Jesus? Look at verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Um, Many people also think that verse 4 indicates that a third of the angels followed the devil in his rebellion when he as Lucifer wanted to be worshipped as God because there often angels are referred to as stars. The symbolism is often used. They'll be called the, the morning stars in places in the Old Testament. And we know that's where they came from. When you read the Gospels and it talks about devils, it's fallen angels because Second Peter and Jude talk about the angels that kept not their first estate, but they sinned and they were cast down and they were punished. So verse 1 through 5 gives us a picture of Israel and goes all the way back to the time of the Messiah being born through Israel and how the devil tried to devour the Messiah as soon as he was born. And verse 5 specifies that it was Jesus who was born because it's a man-child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Then it brings us up to the point in church history where Jesus ascended back up to the throne of God. Did anyone have any questions or thoughts at that point? Confusing enough? Let's read on in verse number 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. How many times have we seen that time frame pop up? Three and a half years. What did Daniel 9 say would happen in the midst of the week? He would cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. What did Jesus say to the Jews, them in Judea, and pray that it not be on the Sabbath? He said, run to the mountains. Don't even turn back. Don't go back to get anything, for there's about to come a time of the worst persecution that the world has ever seen. Where will the focus of the persecution be on of the devil in the last days? And the Antichrist primarily upon the Jewish people. So now it catches back up to the events that it was just talking about in chapter 11, the halfway point, and what it will continue on in chapter 13, the halfway point. And it says that Israel, the woman picturing Israel, fled into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for her that she would be fed and protected for three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation. Verse 7. Now we know that the devil fell from heaven and was cast out when he rebelled against God. But we also know that he has been able to go back to heaven in the meanwhile to talk to God. Where's a place in the Bible we saw a fallen, sinful Satan appear before God in his throne? Job chapter 1. The sons of God, the angels, came, it says in Job 1, to present themselves before God, and the devil was there too. And he said, what did he do? He accused Job. We'll see that phrase, accuser of the brethren, in just a moment. He said, doth Job love God for naught? He doesn't really love you. Why don't you bring some trials? And God agreed. Let's let's allow trials come on Job, but don't touch his health. And then he said, you can touch his health, but don't touch his body. So the devil has been going in and out of heaven since that time. And I believe that verse 7 refers to a future event, not a past one, because it's in the context of what it's talking about. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. For some reason that it doesn't talk about, 
a scuffle is going to break out in heaven. And it says in verse number eight that Michael and the angels of God will cast out the devil and his fallen angels. And then what does it say? Their place was not found anymore in heaven. You're not allowed to come back anymore. We don't really know why. But as the church of God is in heaven and as all of this is going on on the earth, it's as if Michael says, well, not today. I I think we don't need the devil in his presence around to harass the bride of Christ anymore. And the fight breaks out and he's cast back out to the earth. Verse nine. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The same as he had done with Job. That's why this doesn't refer to the devil first sinning and being cast out of heaven, because they're saying, hallelujah, the accuser of the brethren is cast out and he accused them before our God day and night. He's an accuser. He's a blamer. He's an antagonizer. And he liked to go before God and to accuse the people of God. But they said this accuser of the brethren, which spent all of his time day and night doing that, is cast out of heaven. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Amen. Verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Rejoice, because the devil's kicked out. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Did you know the devil knows the Bible? The devils also believe and tremble. And as he is cast out of heaven at this halfway point of Daniel's 70th week, it says his wrath will be great. Woe to the people on the earth because he knows his time is almost up. It's short. God's about to put a stop to him. So with a vengeance, he will go persecute. Who? Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. Who do we believe that refers to in the passage? To the nation of Israel for the last three and a half years. The focus is not on the church, but it's on Israel. He's going to go persecute them as hard as he can. And to the woman, to Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. What's the time period? We keep seeing fly up again and again and again. It's three and a half years. It's half of the last seven years. It's 40 and two months. It's 1260 days. So knowing that, what must the time refer to in this verse? It's a year. A time times, which is three and half a time from the devil. So what it says in verse 14 And what it says in verse number six is that though the Antichrist and the devil will be out to kill the Jews, they will flee into the wilderness and God will confound their plans. And somehow in the age of technology and military might and supernatural wonders, God is going to allow them to be on the run in the wilderness 
and not be found by the Antichrist, that they would all be slaughtered. For he promised he would preserve and protect his people. How will they not be able to find them? Because God, who can always confound the attacks of coming against his people, will confound it. Remember, they were, they were trapped at the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opened. The armies surrounded them, and God caused confusion so that the armies began to stab each other. God may make their technology break. He may allow some who know where they are to have strength not to tell, but they will flee, as Jesus said, into the mountains, into the wilderness, and become a roaming group of people afraid for their lives, unable to buy, unable to sell, but God is going to preserve them unto the end. Verse 15 even tells us, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Daniel 9 mentions Jerusalem or the temple and the end of it being with a flood. And some people think it refers to this verse right here because the devil will even supernaturally send a great storm and a flood to try and drown the Israelites, the the people of God. Verse 16, and the earth helped the woman, the Jews, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. God will look after his people and even the supernatural event of the devil causing a flood to drown them in the wilderness, God will cause the ground to open up and the water will be taken away and God will protect his people. Verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that at the end, the Jews will turn to Jesus and will be saved, but there will be other people in the earth also that no doubt the devil would like to persecute. Daniel chapter 12, we're all out of time, but I came across this verse just the other day, and we'll finish here. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Remember what it said in Revelation 12? The Michael will fight the devil in heaven, and after that, the devil will be cast out of heaven, and for three and a half years, he will go persecute the Jews. Remember, Jesus said that from the time of abomination of desolation, which is the Antichrist going in the temple, causing himself to be worshipped as God, stopping the sacrifices to Jehovah God, Jesus said, then shall be the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. It's pointing all of those events at the middle and the trouble to follow. Daniel 12, 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Michael the archangel stands up, fights the devil, and from that time, there's three and a half years, and it will be the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. I didn't remember equating Michael in Daniel 12, 1 with Michael in Revelation 12, but it's what all of those scriptures point to. And we're out of time. We won't read the whole chapter, but it, it talks about in verse number two, there being a resurrection to life and a resurrection to shame. Verse three, they that be wise shall shine uh, as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Um, we're out of time. I wanted to read this one more thing. Verse six, and to the man clothed in linen is an angel that Daniel's talking to, which was upon the waters of the river 
How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Is there anything you're still confused about? Verse 8, Daniel says, And I heard, but I understood not. A lot of times the people writing the Bible didn't even understand it while they were reading it. But Daniel says, I don't understand what shall be the end. Verse 9, he tells him, go thy way. The words are sealed up to the time of the end. Verse 11 says it one more time. From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make it desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. We referenced that last week over and over again. It says twelve hundred and sixty days. But here Daniel says to the end is 1290. And then he says in verse 12, blessed is he that cometh to the 1335 days. So he tax on 30 days, then tax on 45. We don't really know except for that it's prophesied at the end of the tribulation, Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. There will be the judgment of the nations. So probably this 75 day period to kind of clean those things up. And then the lost will be cast aside and the millennial reign will begin with those who have made it to that point, and they will truly be blessed. Heavenly Father, bless these thoughts this morning and the service that is to come now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And we'll do more time for questions next week if anyone had one we didn't get to because we're out of time.